Uh, hopefully you won't hear noisy dogs, because... You know what? It adds to the fun. All right. I appreciate you. Otherworldly. Files is a paranormal podcast where we find creepy shit on the internet. Not always creepy, sometimes interesting, sometimes cryptid, otherworldly, curses, hauntings, all the stuff and all the things. Welcome to the show. Awesome. Guys, welcome to another episode of Oddity Files, the podcast. I'm Kitsy Duncan. Clayton is on hiatus at the moment, but I did bring along an extra special, one of my favorite humans. Yes, I have a lot of favorite humans, but he's at the top. His name is Aaron Sagers. Aaron, welcome to an episode of Oddity Files. Hey, hey, Kitsy. Thanks for having me, and uh, hello to everyone out there in Oddity Files land. Now, Aaron's paranormal roots go way back. He's kind of a big deal. If you didn't know, you're about to find out. He had a show briefly on the travel channel that was so cool so it was like tmz and they would go out and get celebrity ghost stories it was and he was like the big wig in the office and running all the stuff and all the things so does that sum it up I, i mean I don't know. That's what I saw it as. Yeah. I mean, the um, the paranormal paparazzi, uh, I executive produced it with Zach Bagans of Ghost Adventures. And the idea behind it was to combine lifestyle and entertainment and the paranormal. And it was sort of inspired by my paranormalpopculture.com website. So I was a co-creator on the show. And so we would always kind of combine stories that existed within the paranormal realm from a lifestyle component, but then we would match it up with uh, celebrity ghost stories or celebrity paranormal stories. So maybe you have a guy that's in Texas that's preparing for the zombie apocalypse and he has a bunker. And then the next segment would be an interview with Norman Reedus from The Walking Dead. So uh, I was very proud of it. And, you know, it it was along with, uh, you know, portals to hell and, uh, paranormal lockdown and paranormal challenge. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of shows, but paranormal paparazzi certainly was my baby as, as the show that I helped create and executive produce. It was so much fun. So, and then paranormal pop culture, that was the precursor to the show. Yeah. So that was a website that I started in 2009 and the idea is kind of examining the crossover of the paranormal and entertainment, sort of how one influences the other. And, you know, my background is as a journalist. I'm not a paranormal investigator. I'm, I'm a journalist and a researcher, and, a, uh, and, uh, and I look into folklore and mythology a lot. And something that I discovered was, you know, the ghost stories tend to influence belief. Belief tends to influence entertainment. Um, so... I, I like looking at those patterns and seeing how one overlaps with the other. You know, for instance, uh, when, when people report seeing um, certain types, types of paranormal phenomena, I'm always curious about what types of movies they're watching because there might be a pattern. There might be a correlation between what they're reporting and what they're viewing for entertainment. But that's not to say that the stories are not real. It's just that maybe their visual language is referencing 
entertainment as referencing pop culture. So that's that's kind of how they're describing the thing that they're seeing based on the movies that they they consume. No, absolutely. And sometimes, you know, watching the paranormal shows that are out there on TV, I wonder if that in turn influences evidence. I think I that's actually a very good point because there are no written rules on paranormal activity, what you're seeing, what you're feeling, what you're witnessing. It's it's all just kind of we just say what we're feeling and it may be influenced by things we've seen before on this location or things like that. I like to think they don't because we tend to get different evidence at a location than like the big guys get at the same locations. But it's actually a very good point and it kind of mind blowing right there for sure. And that's paranormal popculture.com, right? Yes. And I mean the, and and I've examined all kinds of uh, topics such as doppelgangers and haunted dolls and, and sort of when we see a new movie come out that is about one of these topics, What's it tied to, you know, or even, for instance, uh, when the live action Aladdin movie came out, I did a whole deep dive on the idea of gin and genies and sort of how we got from these entities that are referenced in the Quran to, uh, you know, the blue uh, uh, jolly genie that we see in Aladdin, how we got from, you know, point A to point, uh, point G, I guess. But the... Yeah, I mean, and to your point, as far as evidence, I don't think that uh, I, I kind of wonder if, you know, if I saw right now a spectral lady in white walking around my home. Why is she always got to be in white? Well, this is this is my thought is that if I were to see that right now. Am I indeed seeing that or is perhaps an entity presenting itself that way? Because maybe somehow they've like gotten this glimpse in my head or whatever of like, oh, this is this is what they view, what they think a ghost is supposed to look like. Or this is mm-hmm. this is their visual language and I'm going to match that. So that way they kind of understand what's happening. I mean, there's a lot of stories within ufology as well of like, basically downloaded information, uh, contactees and eyewitnesses download certain kinds of information. Well, maybe the entity or the phenomena itself could download information and say, okay, they think I'm supposed to look like this. Uh, that's how I'm going to look because this is just going to make this go a little bit easier. Yeah, a lot less explaining going on for sure. That makes complete sense. I think we have a mutual friend, Ty Gowan, um, I believe I've seen you guys tweet each other back and forth, but he brought that up when I had him on yes. the show. How is it spirits reacting, showing us what we can handle, or is it made up? Nobody knows. You know, maybe people see a lady in white because they, like you said, saw a movie about a lady in white haunting a staircase. I mean, patterns are very important, and we uh, we seek we seek meaning and we seek patterns, you know, and we seek meaning in patterns. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, uh, just because I say that doesn't mean that I dismiss the phenomena. I just, no. uh, to your point, I think that it is paranormal because nothing is currently defined by scientific explanation. It's, it's outside the realm of scientific explanation at the moment. So we're all working off of theories. There's, no right, no wrong, as far as answers go. And, you know, it is 
so it actually kind of, I find that interesting and exciting. It annoys me when people present things as rules because there's not rules that we know of associated with this. And yes, I do know and love Ty. There's no rules. Yeah. <laughs> Ty is amazing. And he totally blew my mind with explanations of th theories he has. And it just really made me think. And you kind of brought me back to that. So you've got Paranormal Pop Culture, you had Paranormal Paparazzi, and you've been on all the shows that I love and adore on the Travel Channel. But now you've got a new show, which is one of my all-time favorites. I talk about on this show all the time. You are on Paranormal Caught on Camera, correct? Yes, I'm one of the panelists on Paranormal Caught on Camera. It's perfect. I love that they show this stuff that ends up in my timeline before it actually ends up on the show. And, and they're either debunking it or buying into it and explaining what it could be, what it might not be. I think it's just a really fun watch, 1 million percent. And I'm so excited you're a part of it now. Thank you. Yeah, I, it is a really exciting show to be a part of, largely because it's based on asking questions. And if you, if you pay attention to really what the panelists say, I don't think too many people are outwardly dismissing or debunking. It's more, I think the mission is more about what could it be? And yes, it, you know, basically this doesn't look like if you see, uh, you know, what, what appears to be a cryptid running across some sort of uh, forested landscape, looking at that and saying, well, that looks a little too big to be, a human that looks mm -hmm. maybe the way that's moving across that terrain is very fast, very unnatural. So it's kind of posing questions and analyzing. And instead of coming up with a clear definition, it's kind of indulging in the theories. And I like that. Yes, I do too. You know, I'll watch, I do have to admit the cryptid footage is some of my favorites. I'm always going to think it's Bigfoot because he's my guy, but like they don't they just explain well how it's not this but how it could be this and i like that they're not giving definitive answers oh this is absolutely a ghost but it's opinion it's facts and it's really freaking fun videos to watch for sure i mean i'll watch some of them and i'm like now come on i i could probably say that it could be this but if these people are excited enough about this footage to send it into the show I, I think one, they have to be prepared for people like me going, oh, that's bullshit, you know, but I'm not the one that's <laughs> on the show, but I think it's, it's fun. It's exciting. And so much is caught on camera nowadays. Everybody has a camera in their pocket today. Well, not just in their pocket, but everyone has a camera on their laptop or, or on their work computer. Everyone has a camera. I have a uh, a dog nanny cam for when I leave that keeps an eye on my dogs to make certain they're not like barking and you know they don't getting too riled up or a doorbell cam or mm -hmm. traffic cams or security cameras at grocery stores and retailers that you know uh, so all around us there there's these cameras that are documenting our daily life and 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 dashboard cameras you know like oh yeah uh, so the possibility of capturing phenomena has exponentially increased has been blown wide open so yeah I, I think that's interesting and you know i i do agree like i don't look at every single piece of footage and say oh yeah that's that's legit or i definitely don't think that but 
I do like to place my, my, myself in the mind of the person documenting the footage. So, yes. Uh, and, and what they must've been going through when they captured this, or if maybe I don't entirely buy into it, maybe I think what someone else might be thinking if they were in a similar situation or yeah. how someone might react if they saw, uh, it, it, you know, an, a strange light above their home. Mm-hmm. Oh, that UFO footage on that show is, whoa, every time. I think it was, it was either yesterday morning or this morning. I watch Travel Channel while I do my hair and all that stuff. And there was an unidentified flying light, as we'll call it, that all these other little unidentified flying lights came falling out of it. And I'm like, the fuck is that? No way. But the, and then, you know, there's there's no explanation for it. And it's it's obviously too crappy to be CGI, but it's something and it gets your mind thinking. Well, and yeah, I agree. And you, you kind of bring up a point that rattles around my brain a lot when you say like too crappy to be CG. There is this kind of quality conversation and debate that I think can be had right now because when you see something too grainy, the go-to response is like, well, you know, it's hard to really see anything. It's too grainy. It's hard to determine or decipher, you know, so what, what can we really make of that? But when it's too clear or too crisp or the resolution is too high, well, that must be fake because that's just too clear. That's too good. Like that's, you know, that, ha- that it's just like CG. That's, that's a load of yeah. bull. But it, my thought is like, that's what you want. Like, yeah. you know, you want, you want the great, clear, crisp footage and the quality of cameras is such that if we were to capture it, would, would we even know it? Would we really believe it? Or would we think, ah, that's too good. That's, you know, that's just Hollywood effects or, or, or laptop effects. You know, that's something that someone created on, on their own computer. Uh, it must not be anything really noteworthy. Yeah. It's a thing that I just kind of go back and forth. Do I want really clear or do I want grainy or do I want something in between? It's human nature. It's never enough. And uh, unless it's like right in front of us and we can touch it and go, Oh my God, that's an alien. I'm touching it. Look, he's squishy. It's people are always going to be like, there's always going to be somebody calling bullshit. Always. And that also just seems kind of rude to be poking at the alien and saying he's squishy. And uh, (laughs) that's how we start. That's how we start like intergalactic wars. It'll be me. It'll be all my fault. They'll have the big pot belly and I'll be doing like the Pillsbury Doughboy going. Yeah. Well, probably anyway. (laughs) Oh, so, and you've got a podcast now too that I just learned about last night when I was on your Facebook Live on Aaron Sager's on Facebook. Yes, uh, it's called Nightmarica and it started as a bit of a quarantine slash isolation project, but also something that I had been meaning to launch for a while. I co-host it with Britt Emmy and she's a friend of mine and really the the inception of it was I work in the paranormal field. I've, I've operated in the paranormal field and entertainment industry for a very long time. And it's really easy to kind of get caught up in your own ideas and theories and, and talk to other people that are thinking the same thing. It creates a bit of an echo chamber. And also it looks a bit, I guess, homogenized when it's a field primarily dominated by 
white men, older white men, typically. Yeah. So bringing, uh, co-hosting this with Brit, who is a younger millennial woman who has a different kind of perspective on a lot of things is just really interesting. And we also, we, we talk about the paranormal, we talk about urban legends, we also talk about uh, true crime. And, and that's, jam. yeah, and she has a lot of expertise in that. Well, not expertise in true crime. She's never committed a true crime, uh, to my oh, knowledge. God, I but, hope not. Uh, <laughs> but and I hope you're she's recording remotely if she did. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> and, uh, but she's definitely a, a true crime fangirl and a spooky enthusiast. So together we kind of joined forces and, and approach things from uh, a different place and with our respective uh you know, experience and background. That's awesome. She sounds like my kind of girl. So I'm definitely going to subscribe to Nightmarica. I'm sure it's on all the podcast apps and all the stuff and things. Yes, wherever fine podcasts are served. <laughs> I, I like that. So I was going to tell a paranormal in the news story, but actually my story this week kind of has some paranormal in the news. And he's actually somebody you know and I believe have worked with on several occasions. But I don't know if you're on the Instagram or not, but yesterday, Mr. Zach Baggins got on and said, this man is so freaking smart. Everybody's on lockdown. Everybody's on quarantine. But he has this entire haunted museum that I'm so jealous of every day. It's just like something that sticks me in the side. I want one so bad. He has been filming and investigating his haunted museum for a mini series that will come out later in the year. He's a fucking genius. I love to hate him, but I love to love him even more. But at the end of this, and th we're recording this on Wednesday, and on Tuesday night is when he posted this, and he's supposed to open the Dybbuk box. Have you heard this? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, I saw that. Um it's a four-part miniseries on uh, Travel Channel. It begins Thursday, June 11th, actually. Ghost Adventures Quarantine. So he's going to explore his haunted mansion or haunted museum in, in Las Vegas and uh, open up the Dybbuk box to, quote, investigate its sinister influence. Oh, look, you pulled all that information up. You're so smart. <laughs> I just <laughs> winged it. Well, so ha have you been to the museum? I have been to the museum, yes. About a year and change ago was the last time I was there. But And, and yeah, I've, I've worked with uh, Zach on a couple occasions. Uh, as I said, we produced the Paranormal Paparazzi together. So I've, I've seen the way Zach's brain works, and he is definitely a smart guy and an entrepreneur. And uh, I think it is pretty, pretty brilliant that uh, he generated this TV show in such a short amount of time during this quarantine. It's yes, smart stuff. He's so smart. I was like, I'm, I'm not worthy, Zach. I'm, you are a genius. Now, if I hadn't haunted museum myself, I, I would have just investigated it and probably forgot to film it. But he remembered and brought his crew and they quarantined together. And it's so fucking smart. I love him. But I went to the museum about two years ago and talk about smart. It's beautiful. It is, it is every marketing person's wet dream. And he is just, he's got it all. He does. He, everything but Annabelle, you know? <laughs> well, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, when is if, that going to happen? If anyone were to be able to get the real Annabelle, I would say Zach would be able to do it. And yeah, I mean, like the thing is, is that Zach is definitely a believer. And so let me say this about Zach is that he's not a guy that's just trying to sell a ticket or get ratings for a TV show and is doing it without having a true belief behind it. He, Zach, Zach's all in. Like he, yes. he believes and like everything he puts out there, I, I truly think is something that he's, he uh, does put his belief behind. Uh, and that includes this Dybbuk box, which, you know, I, he said that uh, this is one of the scariest things that he's dealt with at the museum, that his, the spirit activity is increasing during this kind of lockdown, during this quarantine time. And according to Zach, opening the Dybbuk box is a moment that's going to live with him forever. Oh, I'm sure. I, I am absolutely sure. Guys, have you heard of diedinhouse.com? This is pretty much the coolest thing ever. Ever feel like somebody's watching you in your house and you don't know why and you're the only one in the house? Did you know real estate brokers are not obliged to tell you if someone died in the house unless you ask? Yep, I found that one out the hard way. I mean, it's certainly not a checkbox on a Zillow site, now is it? So are you looking at houses and don't want to move into a murder house? I mean, I do, but I understand that it's not for everyone. Well, now you can find out who died in your house, or any house for that matter, and usually what the cause of death was as well. And we have a way for you to save money when you do. Of course we do. Check out diedinhouse.com. Save 10% by using promo code OddityFiles, one word, no spaces, before buying or renting a home. Get informed about everything. Use diedinhouse.com to learn the house history. Again, head to diedinhouse.com and enter promo code oddityfiles, one word, at checkout, and you'll save 10%. Okay, Erin, I'm going to do a quick rundown of our socials and all the stuff and all the things. Guys, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at oddityfiles on Facebook. Just search Oddity Files. And then we have a really cool, kind of secret, kind of not, Facebook group called Oddity Files Fan Group. Definitely click the button on that. We'll approve you ASAP and get you in on all the fun. I want to give a shout out to our producers, Doug Malden Locke, Ryan Hoke, and Donald Blanchflower. We appreciate you and every single one of our Patreon members. If you guys can swing it, We'd love for you to join us on our Patreon page. We have all kinds of exclusive content we're adding all the time. It's patreon.com slash oddityfiles. And if you're listening and you like us, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on every podcast app you can. Also, we cannot forget the TV show on Amazon Prime and its cheer watch list. Like we always say, make sure you start with season three because it's our favorite. Get to know us, get to love us, and then head back to season one and season two. We love what we do. We love all the amazing feedback we're getting from each and every one of you on it. You know, we just kind of do what we do, and 
you guys are digging it. Our love, light, peace, and positivity. So we cannot thank you guys enough. In case you guys didn't know, we do sell Oddity Files merch. You can find it at oddityfiles.com. Just click the shop link and find all the goodies right there. Okay, Aaron, let's get back to it. So I wrote up a little story about the history of this Dybbuk box, which I'm sure you know, but my listeners may not. Do you mind if I tell you a story, Aaron? No, please. Okay. So, and feel free to chime in at any time. If something's wrong, I mean, you're the paranormal journalist here. I just went to a few websites and wrote a story. So, <laughs> all the, thanks, Wikipedia. <laughs> like I said, this week, Zach is going to open the box and he went into it in great detail on Instagram. So I'm going to tell the, the story of this specific Dybbuk box and a little bit about what a Dybbuk box is. And that story goes a little something like this. In Jewish mythology, a Dybbuk is a malicious, possessing spirit believed to be dislo- a dislo- bleh, starting that over. I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> In Jewish mythology, a Dybbuk is a malicious, possessing spirit believed to be a dislocated soul of a dead person. It supposedly leaves the host body once it has accomplished its goal, sometimes after being helped to leave the body. The term first appeared in a number of the 16th century writings, though it was ignored by mainstream scholars until S. Ansky's play, The Dybbuk, popularized, words are hard, by the concept in literary circles. So it was this long standing lore, if you will. I love that word and I love that you use the word as well. That kind of came to light back in the 16th century. You didn't have movies, but you had plays, kind of going back to what you were talking about earlier. And once that play came out, people knew more about the Dybbuk and what it was and so on and so forth. It's a really bad spirit is what I've read everywhere. It's usually has, you know, been described as demonic-ish. We know my thoughts on demons. I don't think they're out there roaming the earth just to steal souls, but that's what this lore is on this. So thanks to Wikipedia for your fancy story and all the words and names that are really hard to say. But now that we know in great detail what a Dybbuk is, what happens when you put one in a box? Well, we're about to find out. And this is, I believe that this is the story of Zach's Dybbuk box. So if I'm wrong, tell me right away. The story of this box started in 2003 when a wooden box that looked like it was just be hanging out at your grandmother's house made its way to eBay. The box is medium brown in color with double doors on the front that open outward. Each door has some fancy grape-like decoration on it. There's a drawer underneath. And then on each side, it has like, oh, what are those things called? Hinges, brass hinges. It literally looks like something I would find in my grandma's basement. Not very ominous at all. That is until you hear the backstory on what this guy found out was a wine box. So it was for sale by Kevin Manis. He stated in the description on eBay that it was a simple wine box with an assortment of small items inside, like some pennies, a spooky candlestick holder, a lock of blonde hair, a lock of light brown hair, 
a dried rosebud, a gold color wine cup, and a granite statue, which actually just look kind of looks like a granite coaster with a shalom inscribed on it in Hebrew. For those that don't know, shalom means peace in Hebrew. So weird, but it wasn't the box itself or the trinkets inside that's starting a bidding war on eBay. It was the story that went along with it. According to Manus, he purchased the box from a granddaughter of its original owner at an estate sale back in 2001. He owned a small furniture refinishing shop at the time and wanted to find something he could work on later and give it to his mother, his poor mother, you'll find out later. Apparently, the granddaughter said the box belonged to a Holocaust survivor who acquired it after escaping to Spain and later brought it with her when she emigrated into the United States. The granddaughter supposedly claimed that her grandmother was adamant about keeping the box locked, insisting it contained a dibbic. So Manus at the time had no idea what a dibbic was, and I'm sure he just, you know, nodded his head, okay, lady, whatever, give me the box, I want to give it to my mom. But after purchasing it, he stores it in a shop until he can get it cleaned up and restored for his mother's birthday. But not long after, shit started to get weird within the refinishing shop. In Manus's own words, so I actually found the wording of his eBay listing, and it's long. So I will try to paraphrase as I go. After about a half hour, he left the shop, the Dybbuk box in the basement. He got a call on his cell phone. The call was from his salesperson. She was absolutely hysterical and screaming that someone was in my workshop breaking glass, and swearing. Furthermore, the intruder had locked the iron security gates and the emergency exit, and she couldn't get out. Yikes. Uh, he told her to call the police, and his cell phone battery went dead. He said he hit speeds of 100 miles an hour getting back to the shop. When he arrived, he found the gates locked. He went inside and found his employee on the floor in a corner of my office, sobbing hysterically. Poor employee, first and foremost. <laughs> I'm picturing her in the fetal position, just kind of sucking on her thumb, going back and forth. So he goes down to the bottom of the stairs, and he says he was hit by the unmistakable odor of cat urine. Ew, Aaron, ew. Cat piss is awful. <laughs> I mean, it definitely like adds insults to injury to paranormal activity. Like, I, I always find like you've got walls bleeding. Typically, well, not typically, but sometimes in haunted locations, you got the smell of like poop when certain demons show up. You know, you get like uh, in this case, supposedly smell of cat urine. It's just like you guys are just really damaging the property value of of a location when it's like, how am I? You know. And it's just a terrible place for like dinner parties or bringing someone home from a date. Like, you know, it's just Does your uh, apartment smell like cat piss. What yeah, is that? It's like the ultimate, like, you know, block as far as any kind of like frisky business that might be happening after a date or whatever. Like, oh, walls bleeding again. House smells like crap. Oh, then, then there's cat pee. Sorry, continue. <laughs> no worries. So he got there. They couldn't find any reason for any of this to have happened. And this was just the beginning of the horrors that would continue to disrupt his life. 
Finally, he gets the box cleaned up. He says it really didn't need a lot of work. He just added a little bit of lemon oil to it to add to the shine. I don't know. I don't restore haunted boxes or furniture, so maybe that works. But on October 31st, 2001, these are, again, from his eBay listing, my mother came to my shop. We were going to have lunch together, but before we were going to leave, I gave her the wine cabinet. She seemed to like it. While she examined it, I went to make a phone call. I hadn't been out of sight more than five minutes when one of my employees came running into my office. I can't believe he has any employees left. Just putting that out there. Saying that something was wrong with my mom. When I went back to see what the matter was, I found my mom sitting in a chair beside the cabinet. Her face had no expression, but tears were streaming down her cheeks. No matter how hard I tried to get her respond, she would not. She couldn't. Turns out that his mom had a stroke and she, it took her a while to actually, you know, regain her ability to speak, but she could understand things that were being said to her and could respond by pointing to the letters of an alphabet to spell out words. I secretly hoped she was using a Ouija board to pick the letters out <laughs> to spell to her son. But he asked her the following day how she was doing. She teared up and spelled out the words, no gift. I assured her that I had given her a gift for her birthday, thinking that she didn't remember, but she became even more upset and spelled out the words, hate gift. I laughed and told her not to worry. I told her I was sorry she didn't like the cabinet and that I would get her anything else that she wanted as long as she promised to get well soon. So, you know, maybe it was just her time to have a stroke. I don't know. He left her alone with it. I'm going to buy into the paranormal on this one. I know you have different feelings on this than I do, but this thing scares me. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so, I don't understand why, but he ended up giving the box to his sister and she kept it for a week and the doors just kept swinging open all the time. So she in turn gives it back to him. He's like, oh, I'm going to give it to my brother. I mean, you're two for two at this point. What would you, what would you do with it, Aaron, if this was you? Uh, well, that's a complicated question. Uh, <laughs> I'll say this, like if... Okay, let's say I have an object that I think is verifiably haunted or possessed or carries some sort of bad energy with it. Is the ethical thing to hold on to it and not pass it along to someone else because you are essentially passing along a, a potentially cursed object or, or you know, or is perhaps the more ethical thing to, if you believe in it, find some sort of binding ritual and keep it on in your own kind of possession, your own property. Uh, or from a research perspective, try to conduct certain experiments. But that's starting from a place of like, if you actually, if you truly believe that this is some sort of horrible, evil thing. Yeah. And I think he's still kind of unsure at this point is kind of the vibe I'm getting. Cause then he gives it to his other brother and he sends it back. Cause his wife 
thinks it smells like cat piss again. So that's a thing. I mean, the, then, cat pee, the cat piss alone is a good reason to get rid of it. I mean, like, I which isn't necessarily paranormal because maybe the little old lady's cat peed on the box. You don't know. Nobody knows. Yeah. And that that kind of lingers that smell. Oh, forever. There's no getting rid of it. So his his other brother decides to send it back and then he gives it to his girlfriend and she's like, just sell it get rid of it. So he puts it up in the shop for sale. A cute little old, not little old, nice middle-aged couple comes in. Three days later, he comes to open the shop for the day and he finds the cabinet sitting in front of the doors with a note that read, this has bad darkness and it's just sitting there in front of his locked doors. And he says that he has no idea what it meant, so he took it home. As one does, um, his family had more strange occurrences. His sister started having reoccurring nightmares from when it was at her house. And he started seeing shadow figures everywhere, but he was afraid to destroy it because at this point he was in, he was in for this is haunted, this is possessed, there's something wrong with this box. And he was afraid to destroy it because he was afraid that whatever was in it, whatever was tied to this box would be released into the world at that point, which kind of makes sense. I don't know. I just make shit up as I go. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the, well, the idea of like, yeah, if it's could whatever dark forces could be released into the world again, like if that's your level of, I, I mean, like, look, to be honest, I like this story as a bit of like, again, paranormal lore. Yeah. And I'm, I, I have, a lot of skepticism surrounding it um but i i don't want to like you know step on any of your story uh mojo so well i'll finish the story and you then finish you stomp and then, on that mojo buddy you just i'm not gonna stop <laughs> but you know he when his girlfriend is just like you know and his family's like you've got to get rid of it he, he i think on one show at one point i saw he buried it that didn't work. He moved it to a shed. That didn't work. And then finally it ends up on eBay. And hence this story I just read. And the box ends up changing several hands with all these other people claiming crazy things happening around it. And now the box resides in Zach Baggins Haunted Museum surrounded by salt and sage leaves until he will open it this week, which I believe was last night, according to Instagram. Um, and I've seen it and I consider myself a sensitive or crazy or whatever I'm calling it this week. I got no vibes off it walking by it, but could it be because it was surrounded by salt and sage? The story when I was there from the museum curator was whenever they put sage around it, instead of the sage drying, it rots. I don't know. I didn't witness any of that. But that's my story. My wingmen are webarchive.org, bloodydisgusting.com, Wikipedia, and the Google. So, Aaron, your thoughts on the Dybbuk box from eBay lore? Well, a couple things I'll say about it is I, uh, a handful of years ago, maybe about five years ago, I found myself in Kirksville, Missouri, um, and this is the home of the Dybbuk Box. I was invited to Truman State University to give a talk 
about zombies and they have a uh, medical school there that is uh, fairly uh, well well regarded and while there i did meet um actually uh i, I forget who arranged the meeting um but i did meet jason haxton jason haxton was and is as far as i know the director of the museum of osteopathic medicine at truman state university in kirksville missouri and he came to be the person that possessed the Dibbit box. Uh, he purchased it off of eBay from a student of his. And so let me say this about uh, Jason Haxton. I drove around with him and uh, he met up with a couple patients of his. And uh, I got to see this gentleman interacting with folks and a uh, really great guy, really gracious man, very kind. And he is the one that wrote the Dybbuk Box book in 2011, I believe. And that story, that book is really what popularized this tale. Haxton's book kind of takes the approach of like, is it real? Is it a hoax? I don't know. Strange things have happened. You decide. Uh, I ask the questions, you decide. He did say that he had developed strange health problems, that uh, he had hives and welts and whatnot. And he did tell me that he buried, uh, he, he opened the box and then he resealed it, hid it on his uh, property at a secret location. He's the one that buried it. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. You're right. And, um, and he's also the person that eventually donated the box to Zach. So Jason Axton, uh, I was able to talk to him about the box uh, and uh, I've read the book and uh, I understand the approach that he takes in the book. However, I will also say that to my knowledge, and I am not a, an expert on Jewish folklore, but to my knowledge, the idea of a Dybbuk being associated or locked to an item that's that's not something that's documented within Jewish folklore to my knowledge that doesn't mean that it's not possible because again echoing what I said earlier there's not necessarily rules to all this we don't know how things operate but the idea of a dibic being locked in a box uh, is not um, something that is popularized you can have a dick in the box, so maybe you can have a dick in the box. I don't know, but uh, it's not something that... <laughs> That's the name of this episode. But it's not uh, like a popular part of the folklore surrounding Dybbuk's. Also, I think it is worth mentioning that in 2015, um, Manis, uh, David Manis, Kevin Manis, sorry, who is the original eBay seller claimed that he made the whole thing up. Uh, he contacted a paranormal oh. website called Haunt Me, uh, which is also uh, Ty Gowan's uh, group, and said that the, oh, uh, the that. whole thing was made up um, and that, uh, you know, there's not, there's not like a real paranormal association with it. That said, so all of that, that said, Okay. I don't know what else has taken place with this box. So let's say let's say it started out as a hoax. Let's say Kevin Manis started out as a hoax. Yeah. Uh, something along the way could, you know, create some sort of association with it. Could create 
a tulpa. Maybe. Yeah, a thought form. Yeah, we could could imbue it with some sort of power. A belief is a powerful thing. If you believe something is good or evil, you know, it effectively becomes that thing. Uh, if you believe you are cursed, you are cursed. Um, and Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and you can look at that as a supernatural thing or a psychological thing. So I don't know what else has happened. I know there have been multiple people that have walked away from experiences with this, claiming that they got impacted some some way, negatively affected. So who knows what else has happened along the way? I, I don't know. But I will say the, the weird kind of capper to this story, capper, cap, sure. is that, I don't know whether it's a capper or a cap. I don't know. Uh, the topper. The, I, I don't want to say icing. I don't want to say icing because it's not really a good thing. But something I've always found very interesting, and I don't know if this has been talked about a lot, sort of the resting place, the the main location associated with this so-called Dibbit Box is Kirksville, Missouri, and um, associated with Truman State University. Truman State University was also a place that had a famous graduate by the name of Harry H. Laughlin. Uh, Harry H. Laughlin was a doctor, but also a eugenicist. And he was, the idea of eugenics was certainly very active and strong in the United States in the early part of the 1900s. And, um, and, you know, we associate that with Nazi Germany and the Reichstag, but uh, that law for the prevention of uh, hereditarily diseased offspring, which is essentially the eugenics law of Nazi Germany, was based closely on Laughlin's ideas and models. Oh, snap. So, um, this forced sterilization, things like that. The notion of the Dybbuk and a Holocaust victim coming to settle you know this box settling in kirksville missouri where laughlin is buried you know it it does create this kind of creepy irony if if there is truth to it um and yeah uh so i find that to be a fascinating kind of connection and not one i really see talked about um at all, really. No, I've never heard that before. That's so interesting, though. I think it should be talked about more. Yeah. You know, whatever, I, I will say this, like, if there's nothing paranormal to this story, the story itself is still powerful. And this is a, a thought I apply to a lot of paranormal phenomena and reports and everything. The story itself can be powerful because it does remind us this connection to mass murder to the Holocaust, this genocide that unfortunately so many people have forgotten, like it reminds you of this and rightly so would someone be angry over this kind of, these murders, this genocide, you know? So um, if it takes a Dybbuk box to kind of keep that story alive, you know what? I, I think that's, that's an important kind of uh, end result. So, um, no, absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of my take on it. No, I like it. And so, <clears throat> speaking of paranormal caught on camera, one of my favorite episodes is this guy who buys 
not this Dybbuk box, but apparently people are creating Dybbuk boxes and selling them on eBay. And he opens it live on his YouTube channel. And he opens it and his K2 meter starts going nuts. Stuff on his wall behind him starts flying off the wall. And he just jets. He's terrified. He leaves. So these are being made now, I'm assuming, and sold on eBay. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's a whole market for people that want to buy supposedly cursed or haunted objects. I don't know whether it's an ethical thing or not, but if people want to buy it, I guess that's that's their decision. But do you really know what you're getting? And and do you know that no. you're do you know that you're getting a it's one thing to go to an antique shop and accidentally purchase something that might have some sort of attachment to it and bring it home. I mean, you know, you talk to guys like John Zappis and he says, you know, be careful of that kind of thing. But if you're actively seeking it out, you don't know, was that something that was just put on there? Was, was someone actively trying to stir up some sort of activity or attach something to it? Yeah. You just don't know what you're getting into. And I also think that there's something to be said about the theory of intention or acknowledgement uh, or invitation. You're essentially inviting this in, inviting whatever potential activity yeah. is attached to you. You're inviting it in. You're not. It's not accidental. You're willfully being like, yeah, let me buy this, bid on this, and then bring it into the house. I don't know. I just think that if you if you believe in it, then you should also be careful of what's coming along with the whole Absolutely. Uh, package. I've come this close. Like I've got, the, I've started following a, like a page on Facebook that sells haunted dolls. And I'm like, and they describe the doll, what the spirit is attached to. She's 16 years old. She doesn't like kids. Blah, 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 blah. And I, I think about it for like a millisecond. I'm like, I don't want to bring something purposely. I mean, I bring enough shit here, not on purpose, but I don't want to bring anything here purposely and you don't know what it's going to do. So, and you know me, I believe in that shit. And if, if, if I believe in most, well, a few, very few mediums, but you know, if somebody senses something on this doll, I'm not going to bring it into my house on purpose and disrupt my peaceful little bubble. If you will. Yeah. I, I think that's very wise. I think if, if, if you have belief, if you don't have belief, you, you know, maybe you're still potentially exposed, but if you have belief in that thing and then you still do it, then yeah, you are kind of inviting, uh, borrowing trouble as it were. Yeah, exactly. So or bidding on trouble. Speaking of my unintentional haunting at my house, I texted you the video of my weird shadows on Instagram. Did you have a chance to look at I those? did. That was pretty crazy. So, yeah, I just wanted somebody who's a skeptic to look at it. And I was hoping you'd be like, oh, no, this is well, this. so let me say about the about my perspective as a skeptic, like I'm a skeptic, but I'm not a cynic. And and I think we should all be skeptics. I think the path to folly lies in being a cynic or being a diehard dogmatic believer, because then you're just you're wearing blinders either way. So. As a skeptic, I leave the potential for things to, to be open. But so when I looked at that footage, yeah, it, it definitely looks weird. And and then my next thought is like, well, to really determine it, I would have to be there and kind of figure out what the deal is with all the lighting in that room. How are shadows being cast? What kind of windows uh, do you have? Like, in uh, in is there a way? Because it doesn't, it, it does not look like this activity passes in front of you. 
So what could potentially make it look like a shadow is passing behind you? So, um, so it's definitely compelling, but as with everything, you want to like get in there and explore. And that is, that is ultimately the challenge of looking at any kind of footage that you did not capture is there's a lot of variables that you don't have access yeah. to. Um, I will tell you, I did take a picture of the lighting setup, like right after it happened. So I can send you that it was at night. So there were no, I'm on the third floor of my house. There were no car lights or anything like that, but I am still waiting for somebody to debunk it. So I don't feel a little uneasy up here in the podcast dungeon. <laughs> well, I, what I would say is like, the and and just that information i didn't have in advance that it was on the third floor that it was you know so i think that's all very interesting and and then what i would say is like try to recreate it yeah and i and i have and i i have done every time i do an instagram i do those things weekly with tiffany and every time the lighting is set up the exact same and it has never happened at the same time since. of day so mm, various times of day so i would try it at the same exact same time same time same day of the week you know and you know try to recreate the, the the situation as much as possible and that's again why it's the challenge of the paranormal right is that we can't recreate it in a laboratory setting you know following the same uh scenario so then it eludes real scientific definition that's why it kind of like we can try to apply some method of some scientific method, but not really the scientific method because we can't create a control and and recreate it, you know, so it's not a true experiment. Yeah. Well, Aaron, you just expounded on my story more than I ever could have in my shitty ass writing stories that I do for this podcast. So I appreciate the shit out of you being here, sir. Thank you so much. <laughs> Tell everybody where they can find you, what you're up to, all things. Aaron Sager. Well, I appreciate the shit out of you appreciating the shit out of me. There's just a lot of appreciative shit. Uh, a lot of appreciative But shit. I do not appreciate the smell of uh, cat piss uh, in my life. So, <laughs> um, so let's, let's uh, you know, appreciate the shit, but don't take the piss out of one another. Um, the uh, <laughs> That said, uh, thank you for having me on. And yeah, for you guys can head over to my social media at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Also, I am doing the Nightmareca podcast with my buddy Britt. Uh, so check that out. Download that. Subscribe. Spotify, iTunes, Stitchers, iHeartRadio, all, all the places. And if you could share that, that'd be great. Uh, I do a lot of what I call the paranormal pop culture fireside chat during this quarantine slash isolation time. So uh, look out for those and head to paranormalpopculture.com. Uh, I am trying to update it. And I'm sometimes a little infrequent with that, but uh, I, I kind of connect the dots between the paranormal and entertainment fairly frequently. And also Paranormal Caught on Cameras, new, new episodes every Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern time. I do have some events like Michigan Paracon coming up, which I really hope happens because I'm super excited it's a great event, and uh, if you are able, and this when is all is that past, scheduled for? It's in August, yeah. You know, beyond that, I don't know what it looks like with the rest of my event schedule this year, so stay tuned. You are 
preaching to the choir. That is one of the events I've actually always wanted to go to. It's huge. Great event. The fans come out in droves. Yeah, a lot of great people are at it. Um, A lot of interesting workshops. And this will be my second year there. And I, I couldn't be more excited to go. Well, cool. Well, thank you so much for being on. And if you ever get bored and you want to co-host with me, I am always your girl. You know that. But good luck with all the stuff and all the things. Did I give you good stuff or? All the good stuff. Literally, like I totally forgot about the guy at the at the university getting a hold of the box. So I just I was stuck on the eBay guy when I was writing my story last minute. So Oddity Files is an independent production. Intro music created by DJ Jimmy. Wah, wah. 2020 artwork created by me, Kitsy Duncan. The opinions expressed in this podcast are ours and ours alone. Well, maybe yours too. If you like the show and would like to support us, visit oddityfiles.com and click on support or go to patreon.com slash oddityfiles. Every little bit helps with both the podcast and the TV show. You can also support us by watching Oddity Files on Amazon Prime. It's free to Prime members and dirt cheap to those who aren't. You can find us on all the social media sites at Oddity Files. Keep spreading the word by sharing, retweeting, and reposting. Join our Oddity Files Facebook group by searching Oddity Files Fan Group and click Join. We'll approve you as soon as we can. All weirdos are welcome. Not into that social media stuff? Tell your coworkers, family, even the weird guy who just won't stop talking to you in line for coffee. Oh, and grandma, your grandma will love us. We appreciate each and every one of you. And if it weren't for you, we have no idea what we would do with our lives. If you have a story you'd like to submit, Send it on in at oddityfilescrew at gmail.com. Also, send in story ideas, silly, weird memes, or just positive vibes to oddityfilescrew at gmail.com. You can also call in and leave that in a voicemail. Call us at 317-300-6699. To contact us about an appearance, reach out at kitsy at oddityfiles.com. When you have a set, rate, review, and subscribe. We know it doesn't sound like much, but it really helps us get up there on the podcasting charts. And remember, kids, weird is the new cool. Ghost on. Um, why are you still here? Go on. Get out of here. Turn it off. It's done. Really? I swear, go. Get. Serious, I'm out of here.